welcome to another edition of Sawdust and Gin. This is the podcast of the blog of the same name. My name is Zoe, and I'm joined here today. Hi, I'm Kylie. I have been friends with Zoe for a while, and I'm interested to hear how we discuss music, because I'm going to laugh really hard, because we have... What's fun about us is we used to be college radio DJs together, so we have a lot of similar interests, but... I have to say, uh, if I start talking about Kesha, I know she's not going to be too thrilled. So I'll make sure that I uh, I keep the Kesha talk to a minimum. Please do. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I know this is radio, but if you guys had seen Zoe's face right now, it was just the most beautiful look of sheer just... If you had seen me and Kylie throughout college radio at all, I think the same face would have been made. Um... <laughs> So today, uh, this is going to be our inaugural duo episode. This is episode 25 in general. Uh, it's really only 24 because I only recorded 24. I skipped one, but we, we don't have to talk about that. 25 sounds great, too. It sounds like it's a nice rounded number. It is. I love it. Um, so on our inaugural episode, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Spotify and streaming services. We're going to talk about You'll Never Get to Heaven, a Canadian dream pop duo. But first, we wanted to start out by just going over some stuff that we've been listening to. Kylie, what it, what, do you, what have you been listening to? Sure. So uh, what I've been listening to is there's this really great track by an artist called Ruby Francis. She does a lot of R&B. And what's fun about her newest track, it's called Fall Asleep. It was released only a couple months ago, so it's not that old. And what's nice about it is that it's the perfect meld of R&B, kind of very much um, electronic R&B, but it's got hints of... Zoe's going to laugh, but it's even got hints of very pop. I would even say I hear a little Britney in it. So it's exciting because it's a good mix of indie with those indie influences. And you have a lot of pop in there. So I, uh, I'm i laughing because Zoe's incredulous face. Like, I can't believe she talked about Britney Spears. I think I'm killing. This is not true. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. She knows I was going to, you know, that I, that I talk about Britney Spears. Yeah, she knew. She knew what she was getting herself into. But Ruby Francis is really great. I've been really impressed. She's from England. So it's the track Fall Asleep is really exciting. And it's it's definitely a jam. I, I love it. And I'm really interested to see what else comes out from her, uh, her new album because it's the first track off of it. Oh, sweet. Very nice. When's the album coming out? Do you know? You know, I don't know. And I'm going to check it out because I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I like this track and I'm thinking that she's going to do some other fun stuff. So looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, I have been just visiting my vinyl collection this week. I've been trying to rip all the tracks into MP3 so I can take them with me on my iPod, which in itself is a project, let me tell you. But I've been really into this one record I got. It was actually the first record I bought when I moved to LA. It's from a band called Spider, and the album was called, you guessed it, Spider. You know what, I'm going to, so my impression when you say Spider, self-titled Spider, is that this is some sort of like 80s hair metal band. I am assuming it's not. Not quite, although 80s, very accurate. I mean, 80s sounding, I believe that they're like late 70s band, but still, like that sound, you're on the right track. Uh, I love this record though. It's so much fun. It reminds me a lot of Blondie. Um, which is phenomenal. Personally, a huge fan. I just saw Kylie's eyes light up. Yes. Big fans over here. So yeah, definitely been listening to that a lot and just a, a lot of other records that I've been listening to, but been really into a lot of good music in 2017, which we will be getting to in just a moment. Stay tuned. And welcome back. We are about to talk about a pretty big topic in the music industry right now. Um, I'm sure everyone that's listening has used some sort of streaming service in your life. There are so many at Spotify, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. They all technically count. There's also Apple Music, Beats? Beats used to, so I I found out, because I was looking up some research that Beats was bought by Apple. So Beats is no more, or is about to be no more. Um, There's also Deezer, which I think is the funniest name. I'm just gonna throw that out there. (laughs) It sounds like Weezer. Right, exactly, like Deezer. There's also uh, Tidal, which everybody hears about because Jay-Z is one of the owners and they've released a lot of like Beyonce Lemonade and Nicki's tracks and things like that. Uh, There's also Rhapsody and it's funny because YouTube, it's funny because we, I never think about YouTube as streaming. I think of, oh, this, this video or I'm watching this clip, but it's actually technically um, considered by many as a 
streaming service in terms of they they pay out to artists and things of that nature. So there are really a bunch. And it's funny because I'm a Spotify premium user. So I always assume that Spotify is the only one. And it is the largest in terms of paying subscribers. Um, they have 50 million paying subscribers. Um, we don't have the numbers for, I don't think they've disclosed the amount of actual uh, not. listeners. But, um, but yeah, they've got 50 million paying subscribers, which is pretty impressive by all means, obviously. But what's really crazy about Spotify and really kind of what we're a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is really the profitability of streaming and so Spotify has got these 50 million paying subscribers which is by any stretch of the imagination is huge however they have 1.5 billion yes billion with a b in debt so you sit there and you think to yourself so here's this company with 50 million paying subscribers that's still 1.5 billion in debt so obviously i uh i am not the ceo of spotify shocker i know so i can't sit and tell you what got them to that point but what i find really interesting is when you go and you look at the amount that artists get Per, uh, per play of a track. And now, if you have this company that's $1.5 billion in debt, you know, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to realize that they probably want to get out of that debt sometime in hopefully the near future. So you sit there and you wonder, when you see that artists on Spotify, so there was this great article done by The Verge, actually back in December, and these artists typically receive between 0.006 cents and 0.0084 cents per stream so that's what two thousandths of a cent I mean, I like difference it's insane I, like it's yeah. a it's a, a lesson in decimal points like i, feel, I honestly right. feel like i'm back in high school yeah sitting there and looking at point zero zero and to me i sit there and i just think to myself how can indie artists make any money off of this because they're not Rihanna. They're not Drake. They're not getting billions of streams. That's not going to happen. Right. I mean, that's an excellent question. So we're going to try and frame this argument up. Uh, so I've been a publicist. I worked with bands. I know how how it works to some extent. I know that I've seen bands have to get distribution. When you get distribution, usually you get on all the st streaming services and on all the paid services. So you'll be on iTunes and Apple Music and Spotify and all this other stuff. So here's where we get nitpicky. These 0. .0006 cents that artists may be making on one single song, is that really what we are intending to do? Like, is that how we're supporting our art? And so this is like the overarching issue that I have especially been, it's been raised between many of my friends recently uh co-workers have had and this is just a question of how passionate are we for our own arts and it doesn't really seem like these streaming services are going to be a, any ends to any extent and I feel like society at large is treating them as an ends and I would say what's really interesting is you look at for example back even in the 90s and when we were growing up and we loved an artist you would go and you'd buy their album and it would be around between 10 and 15 dollars per album and of course the part of that album cost goes to the record labels and there's all these different things but at the end of the day you would have per person around 10 to 15 bucks. So it makes more sense that artists in that way could be compensated. There are a lot of arguments back and forth about how much does the record company take, how much should they take, et cetera. But putting that aside, you just knew at least that 10, 15 bucks per person, you know, that adds up and artists can get paid fairly. So it's just kind of the concern because I actually did a little research and I found what the other streaming services pay. Because of course, right now we're only talking about Spotify, which is definitely not the only one. But then when you look at the other streaming services, things don't fare out so well either. I mean, you have Apple Music paying 0.006005. I mean, why is that decimal so long? I don't understand why they didn't just round it, but you also have that 005. So that'll give you maybe an extra penny uh, for in your six months. Yeah, in six months for your music. Uh, Deezer's at 0.0010. Google Play 0.0073. Title 0.0070. I mean, it really, it just all sounds like back in high school when you were doing decimals and stuff like that. So it's just, you just have to wonder kind of how indie artists can really move forward when people aren't buying the physical anymore. People aren't going out and buying CDs. And what's 
even more interesting is that technology is changing to the point where CDs are, they've, technology has helped make them irrelevant. For example, my new MacBook Air, I can't play CDs. My car, I can't play CDs. It's getting to the point where even if we wanted to go out and buy CDs, where am I gonna play it? It's basically going to just be an ornament. It's so true, and I can't tell you how devastated I've personally been by this predicament because I still drive a very old car that only plays CDs. I love CDs. I still have like packs of them. Obviously, I have to use them in my car. I mean, I it's it's so sad to see the way things are just pushed off to the side. It's interesting that ways of listening to music constantly are changing, and yet. It's almost as if trends bring them back, and of course, I'm talking about vinyl. Now, vinyl obviously has come back for several different reasons. Uh, people, a lot of people believe that it sounds better, uh, and I'm not saying it doesn't. <laughs> I'm not arguing any of these points, but it's it's it seems like a strange choice when you have so many easier, cheaper options, and yet. It's great to see people bringing these ways of listening back. It's great to have a variety of ways. It's always good, better to have a variety rather than a shortage. And the thing is with MP3s, now because it's basically the only thing you can use anywhere, the other stuff becomes irrelevant. Now vinyl, yes, people have record players, that's fine. Here's the other thing though, tapes are coming back. Yes, I was actually going to say, so I saw Bishop Briggs uh, a couple months ago with LP, and it was a fun show. It was over at the Echo in um, in Echo Park. Hang and on, I'm going to stop you for just one second. You saw Bishop Briggs with LP? Have we discussed this? Maybe not. This might be another discussion. We might have a whole other thing about Bishop Briggs and LP. We it might have to revisit this because I know we've talked about LP and Bishop Briggs separately, but we're going to have to talk about that show. Together whole nother show look at this look at this we already have 26 we have 26 number episodes. 26 yep we're all good yes so i saw uh bishop briggs and lp together that was it was obviously a great show but one of the things that was so fascinating was that bishop briggs had tapes that she was giving out tapes cassette tapes and i thought this was so odd because the last time i had a cassette tape i'm closing my eyes because i can imagine it right now I had this was back in 2002 I had an American Idol karaoke machine I was a huge American Idol fan Zoe's dying right now so this American Idol karaoke machine had a tape player and I think that was the last tape player I ever owned and this thing was this machine was huge because it was a full-blown CD player tape player karaoke machine it did it all and it had a beautiful American Idol branding on it so it was even better but I mean seriously I can't even think about the last time that I saw a tape player I have not seen a tape player and yet like at every single show I go to now bands are selling tapes here's why it's cheap it's so cheap to print tapes and because you're printing them people will theoretically people will buy them and so it's easy easy money because you're making so much profit here's the problem though why the hell am I gonna buy a tape if I can't listen to it I mean I totally get people buy them for the art buy them just because it's cute I guess but I would just buy the cd in that case and so it there are just so many questions I have for just trends for this type of thing. Like, what are we doing? Why are we moving away from things? It's just, it's a mess. It is. And it's it's just really interesting what's coming back in vogue and things like that. And it does make you wonder, too, because none of us are naive. Streaming is the future. We get it, obviously. But it's kind of interesting to see, like, will this physical the obsession with vinyl and tape and things like that will it come back to the point where we are actually artists are still going to make revenue streams off of it it's something interesting to think about especially because I mean obviously you're going to get so much more back from a cd or a tape and things like that and one thing I have to say and I know I sound kind of like a dinosaur because I'm going to talk about you know back in my day um I'm, I'm not that old I'm only 26 but uh but back when I was younger I one of the things I actually really enjoyed and I really miss was being able to read the album notes being able to read who, pr who produced it and things like that I actually do miss it and now I'm a Spotify premium user, so it's not, and I love it to death, so I'm not saying I'm just going to throw it away and, and go back to uh, to the world of CDs, but I think there's something to be said about sort of having a, a more of a knowledge of who was producing, the lyrics, things like that. Like, that's how I found out about uh, one of my loves, Max Martin, who's pretty much produced 
every pop thing the last 20 years, Britney and Sync, Backstreet Boys, Pink, Kelly Clarkson. I love him so much. Yeah, I mean, I miss the liner notes too, man. Like I, I have a very specific and uh, unreal disability where I cannot listen to, like, can't understand lyrics. I just don't understand them. I try. If the if the vocals aren't clear enough, I really just can't understand them. And so liner notes were so helpful. I I do notice that some digital albums have digital liner notes, but it isn't the same. I really enjoy that Zoe's voice just got really deep. Like, it isn't the same. It's I so upsetting. It's, it's not. It's definitely not. Um, <laughs> and the other thing I'm actually going to bring up about this was actually you sent me over a really great Hypebot article about how artists are still making a chunk of their revenue off CDs. So I guess it's not completely dead, which is kind of interesting. But but yeah, I do. I miss I miss those liner notes. (laughs) (laughs) I do too. I think that what's interesting about, uh, and we'll link the Hypebot article. It's got a lot of interesting data data in it. Um, But what's interesting about that is, yes, it shows that people are still making money on CDs. The reason that all this seems so different than maybe what we expected is because you have to remember what amount they're actually getting paid from the streams. So yes, obviously streaming is a huge chunk. Uh, however, they're not getting paid that much from that. So that's where the that's where the uh, inequity lies in how much they're actually earning from these ways that people are genuinely tuning in. Um, so then obviously this brings us to what's going to make this better? How How can the industry improve on this? And to be completely honest, because I don't know that much about technology i'm not a music engineer i can't speak to fixing streaming but i do know how bands make music and that is by people paying for tickets and paying for t-shirts and paying for merch that's really cheap for them to produce buy march merch guys that's that's my you know and i think what's interesting is that i definitely think that live performance is really going to be front and center especially with the growth of festivals i feel like every weekend there's another festival and there's a new festival coming up and they're they're everywhere and i think that that's one of the many reasons besides the fact that i know this is gonna sound crazy but people like festivals shocker i know music music and alcohol who would have known they, they were both so great together um but but yeah i think live performance is really going to come to the fore as the way that artists uh, can truly make a living is tour, tour, tour. Um, I've also seen another option uh, that I've seen many artists do is the Kickstarter route. The Kickstarter, GoFundMe, that kind of thing where they're saying, hey, we need X amount to make this album. So, and I've seen that happen. And of course, the whole Kickstarter, GoFundMe, everything has just kind of exploded for all different segments and different things. Everything from get my cat a new kitty home to, you know, helping someone with a disease. But um, so I definitely think that that could be another option. However, especially in the P- as being formerly in the PR world, you know that to really get a Kickstarter off the ground, you will need publicity. So it's definitely not something that they can just set it up and be like, oh, all the money will flow in. You know, you definitely need PR for that. But I'm kind of curious about if that'll kind of become an option to say, hey, fans, I know you love us. We see you. We see you out there. We, you know, we need help recording this and we need you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I have seen this actually like in the past month, like four or five bands that I know and like I'm like on their newsletter or like I follow them on Facebook or something. I've noticed they've all put up like kickstarts for their next album, which I personally, I love it. I love the idea of being able to contribute before the album's made. I love that the band is reaching out to its fans, knowing that the fans are the people that care. The problem is, uh, again, like somebody that's spoken to real artists, I can't tell you how many artists despise it. They, I mean, so many people like cite that they're just like embarrassed to have to ask for money. And a lot of people compare it to like being beggars on the street. In which case I'm like, guys, stop being so dramatic. <laughs> no, but, but I can see the point. And, and the thing is too, and what it comes down to is that, especially just in this era of streaming and things like that, because the revenue sources aren't as great. And because you don't have the record companies with all the money they used to have being able to dump money into the careers of artists, 
you know, you kind of have to be that. Again, I think it's overdramatic to say the beggar on the street, but you kind of have to sit there and figure out how to raise your own revenue and you really have to be so self-promoting. And I think that it was funny. So when I was at the radio station with Zoe, I actually did a show called Members Only. It was only UM students. And it was amazing because we had a lot of really good musicians, but they could not promote themselves. They were just so bad at it. A lot of them didn't have websites. A lot of them, it was really amazing to me. And I come from a PR background. I work in marketing. That's kind of the second nature to me so I would look at them and I'd be like how are you not promoting yourself but it's kind of tough to expect musicians to completely do all of that you know I I sit there and I mean to be honest the musicians that make the most are the ones that are so self-promotional but sometimes you're just you're really great at your art you might you might not necessarily be the best promotions person Absolutely. I mean, I know for a fact that especially some like personal friends that I know that are musicians, they don't want to do it because they feel like it makes them seem like they aren't and they wouldn't say this, but they aren't it, it makes them seem like they aren't as humble as they are because these people truly are artists like they're creating things from passion and like that's what music is and the fact that we aren't paying them for it like is terrible and yet they also can't find it in themselves to ask for the money or to just like i mean even in general like you were saying promotion like even they feel uncomfortable with that which is a problem and this is no one's fault like i totally understand that bands don't want to promote themselves it's awkward like to be like i'm the best listen to me give me your money exactly and especially especially when i think a lot of art and a lot of turmoil comes from that feeling of uh you know they talk about imposter syndrome all the time and I think a lot of art comes from a lot of turmoil and I think that when you're creating a lot of art that's really meaningful you're not you're not necessarily super Mr. or Mrs. braggadocious right so I can see why it's really really tough and it's just again it's kind of interesting because I seriously I'm looking at these numbers these Apple Music these Deezer numbers that are 0.00 and I think to myself like I can't even, and it's just so crazy too, because I could not even fathom if someone, I work at a very corporate job, so somebody came up to me and said, you know, you could make like .0073 an hour. I look at them like they were smoking crack. You could make a dollar for eight hours of work today. I would, I mean, I seriously, I would think it was a joke. And I sit there, I mean, would, wouldn't you? I mean, yes, yeah, absolutely. Like, you, you know, like, uh, no, my, I am much more valuable than point zero zero six. But yeah, it's just, it, it's just crazy to me. And I think another thing along these lines that will really help is that we really need, and it sounds funny because... <sighs> To quote uh, Frank Costanza in Festivus, I got a lot of problems with you people. Uh, Congress, uh, I, I hate to bring them up because we, we have a lot of other fish to fry, but I really think Congress needs to sit down and draft new rules to really um, okay, yeah. embrace what this industry has become. Because I sit there and I'm just like, there is just no way that anybody can survive on these paltry sums, especially. And what I think is fascinating is that Taylor Swift, of all people, Taylor Swift, who I adore, Zoe knows I, I love Taylor Swift. Wow. But what I think is so crazy is that Taylor Swift, someone who clearly isn't hurting for money, took her music off Spotify because she did not feel that the way that they paid out was was equitable and that to me is huge because she's someone that frankly probably goes to sleep on a bed of money so it really shouldn't have mattered all that much you know for her she'll make over a billion streams so this will actually turn into real money so I thought it really said something that here's this huge artist that says this is not equitable I do not think that musicians should be paid this way and I think that's a pretty powerful statement coming from someone who frankly didn't have the need to do that Absolutely. I I think Taylor Swift is an amazing example, but another example from kind of more my world, the indie world, Joanna Newsom also famously does not allow her music to be on 
any streaming platforms. And I mean, of course, we know a lot of artists that have done this for various reasons. I I want it before I kind of di- dive into Joanna Newsom, I do want to bring up some other examples of maybe people you guys might be thinking about, but these situations are different. For example, I'm going to use Prince. So recently Prince has been put on all of these streaming sites because of the stuff that's kind of been going on with his estate. Um, but it was specifically because he owned all of his music. He owned every aspect of it. He like I know this is another famous thing, the Beatles, like Paul McCartney famously still does not own all the Beatles masters and like the Jackson estate has them because Michael Jackson bought them out from under him. And so things like that are different. Like when you own your masters and you don't answer to anyone else, that's totally different. Indie artists largely do have that uh, capacity to like own their own music. Joanna Newsom has famously said like, not famously, but she said, <laughs> Joanna Newsom is so huge in Zoe's mind oh that pretty God. much everything she says is is famous. Is true. She famously said, "I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut, totally cut you off, Zoe, but I just appreciate it." She famously said, <laughs> "Yeah, I mean, you you got it. You know, you know me too well, Kylie." But anyway, yes, Joanna Newsom in an interview she once took down Spotify basically was like I think it's garbage I don't think that this is right in any capacity and I think touching back on uh, what you were saying before about Congress a huge help would be regulation and you're absolutely right like we do have bigger fish to fry especially now uh, if this had happened maybe a couple years ago, I think we could have actually done it. Um, but no, not right now. But you know what's interesting, though, is that this is probably actually one of the very few things that would get bipartisan <laughs> support. Because I can't imagine, of course, Democrats have always been traditional supporters of the arts. And I'm sure Republicans can sit there and talk about how, because they're all about fair business and things like that. I mean, could you imagine showing a businessman these numbers and saying this is what you're going to make? So I actually think that even though, unfortunately, this probably will not end up on the docket because uh, of all the chaos going on, it's actually something that might get bipartisan support. You're absolutely right. I, it's so sad to think that that's true, but it is, man. I mean, and it, you're right. I mean, coming at it from that angle, this is something that we should be able to get everybody behind. I think it's interesting... Um, I don't know how much we should talk about politics, Kylie, but we're gonna. (laughs) (laughs) So I was recently at the Billboard touring conference here in LA, and basically, I mean, most of the music industry is pretty liberal. Like we all, like you said, we're all supporters of arts. Like we get it. When I was at this conference, the only conservative was from country music, and I think that's the only genre that has actually been profitable. And here's why. And I I discussed this with him and like several other people that work in Nashville and like the country music industry in general. It's because people that listen to country music are still listening on those traditional ways. They still sell bulk CDs. They don't really sell that many MP3s. They really don't really do well on streaming. Like And I say that, that's so relative, too. Obviously, there are indie artists that do far worse than very famous country artists on Spotify. It's all a relative thing. But that industry in general just hasn't advanced the same way the rest of the industry has, which I think is where this issue comes in between, like, the divide. So don't mean to stereotype, but a lot of conservatives listen to country. It's a mainstay in Central Central America, like Middle America is the term. Um, You can't escape it in the South. This absolutely, uh, and I mean that's generally where conservatives live. That's generally who conservatives are, and it makes sense then that conservatives might want not care to back something for something they don't understand. Like for indie music, what is that? And obviously, again, making wide generalizations. Please don't email me. <laughs> I'm sure I would. I would actually be really interested if someone who leaned really conservative said, you know, I love indie music and it sure. would be great. Actually, that would be an interesting email. And I, I, you could email me. I actually would like to read that. Um, I'll forward her. You can still yeah, email yeah. me at sawdustengine at gmail.com, but uh, I'll forward it to Kylie. Excellent. But yeah, no, it is kind of interesting how that, how that genre has been profitable. That's. It's weird though. That's fascinating to me. That really is. Especially because I still wonder, because here's the thing. So how so they're they're you know they're purchasing bulk cities and things like that but my question is 
how are they listening to him in their cars or like they're you i mean so then i would imagine that these people have not advanced past boom boxes <laughs> but that's impossible especially <laughs> if they're driving a newer car like i i do not i mean think about it it's not like everybody in the south i mean hello zoe and i are, are both from florida we clearly it's not like everybody's sitting around driving cars from the you know the 90s so yeah. i just wonder maybe it's just that they're listening to cds at home and maybe the radio in their car i just that's, that's actually probably a because country radio also is extremely profitable unlike yeah. most other radio it's this whole country industry is very strange i'm wondering if country has it would make sense to have maybe an older demographic, but then again, I sit there and my sister went to uh, to college in southern um, in South Carolina, and I mean, obviously, country's big there. So, and you know, everybody obviously was her age. She wasn't going to college with a bunch of sixty five year olds. Like, obviously, they were all, you know, like her age. So, it is pretty fascinating. I think it's really fascinating that that's that part of the industry is still doing really well. I would love to see like demographics over the years of how like the like genres have changed and obviously like genres such as like electronic in the past few decades are going to be like way different than like the changes happening to country music and but obviously there must be changes happening i mean our generation has been growing up with a lot more electronic music than our parents generation has uh, not to say that like the 80s wasn't a big electronic like genre like uh decade yeah but, but i know what you mean i think yeah. it's definitely what's really fascinating is that our generation has grown up with a lot more djs that do as far, I mean, on the radio, you still have the electronics with the vocals, but I feel like just electronic music in general with no vocals has been huge, which I find really interesting because most of the time, things that get popular are always have vocals, at least that, that what I found. True. If you look across, you know, generations, it's pretty tough to find. I would be hard-pressed. You know what? The only one I can think of is Sandstorm, that Sandstorm <laughs> song from the 90s. <laughs> Derule? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like it's... it's that, I mean, that was very popular, Classic. which was really, I found that so odd because the 90s was not like, when it comes to, when you think about popular 90s music, it was all like alternative and a lot of women yep. in alternative, Sheryl Crow, that kind of thing. And then Sandstorm came along. Like The only comparable thing from like that time I could think of is like Moby, but Moby always has lyrics. Yeah. And he definitely, he was, he was definitely a pioneer for sure, but Absolutely. he had, he definitely had vocals. So just think about right. Sandstorm, like coming out of nowhere being like, what is this? So I was going to say I would be hard pressed to find an instrumental track like prior to 2000, but you're right. <laughs> there's that one. But I can't imagine there's very many. One, like, that one that yeah, just, again, one. it was, and it was very unexpected. We're if not you looking look at, it up. We're, we're just going to say there's only one. <laughs> there's only, there's only one. <laughs> oh my god that's really funny <laughs> i really appreciate that the conversation has gone from streaming to sandstorm so we've really we've covered we've uh we've covered our bases we sure have and rounding out the episode we are going to discuss the canadian dream pop duo you'll never get to heaven that is their full name and i just want to address this right now because I think that after working at a radio station, we have fascination with band names. I don't know if you have the same. Oh, yes. I remember uh, Chick 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 is probably my favorite one that I butchered. And someone actually texted me uh, from the radio station uh, to uh, correct me because I called it exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Technically, you can pronounce Chick 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 with any uh like syllable so it could be like pow 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 and it would still be accurate technically see and i didn't even know that look at this i'm still learning things all i know is it's not exclamation point exclamation point exclamation yeah, point. yeah it definitely isn't that <laughs> although i remember the one that killed me the most was azarian third yeah okay here's the thing it was spelled azari a-z-a-r-i space what, like three eyes or something yeah, like that? Yeah, with three eyes. Three Roman numerals, maybe. But the thing is, they kind of looked like L's to some people. Some people just said three. and But you were supposed to say third. The worst. I, there's just so many. Yeah, we. I could go on about yeah. band names that are ridiculous. ridiculous. Like, can I just say to go on a, a small rant, so bear with me, okay. Zoe, yeah. that I don't understand why indie bands hate vowels. Why are they so <laughs> anti-vowel? Like Starfucker, S-T-R-F-K, 
are. Like, what? Oh, come on. Like, there's just so many. What's with the anti-vowels? A-E-I-O-U, man. Like, embrace them. Embrace them. so strange and yet i'm gonna say right now that's one of my favorite bands i just don't understand how they landed on that name you know they put all their effort into the music and then they thought what are we gonna name ourselves clap your hands say yeah all right that's fine i guess we said that it shows let's just like take that as our band name <laughs> but okay so okay riffing off that i did try to see if i could find the namesake for this band I couldn't find anything in interviews where they would affirm like what it was, but I did find that there was a song released in 1964 called You'll Never Get to Heaven, parentheses, If You Break My Heart. And it's by Dionne Warwick. It was written by, um, uh, I didn't write it down, but one of the famous like older songwriters, this is the 60s, you know, the songwriting era was very different. Um, one of my favorite lyrics, which I did write down, <laughs> If you ever should say goodbye, it would be so awful the angels would cry. Whoa! And it's like a great song, too. Like, the melody is so good. I really enjoy the song. I'm not sure if this is where their band name comes from. Um, it was covered by The Stylistics, I believe is their name, which is uh, another, like, I think they were early 70s, but practically like a 60s be like bebop like group. Um, also another great rendition. Uh, this is a good song. I have no idea if it's associated, but I, I really hope it is. Although it, based on the music, definitely probably not, but who knows? Yeah, maybe they'll, they're just convinced that they will never get to heaven, that they've just done so many poor things in their life or made so many bad choices that they're like, oh, we're done. It's, that's extremely possible. I would really hope to think that this band isn't so emo. Because their music is certainly not. <laughs> their music is not emo. Yeah, we're not going to break out in some My Chemical Romance, Panic at the Disco. <laughs> Don't even want to, like, think about it. Yeah, I'm not trying to kill Zoe here. That's, that's not the name of the game. But, you know what, I really, one of the things I really liked about You'll Never Get to Heaven is that I do like shoegaze, but one thing I have to say about the genre is sometimes the, um, the quest for that kind of lo-fi sound tends to go so far that you you start to not even be able to hear the lyrics and trust me i totally understand the desire of dream pop to seem very lo-fi and really atmospheric but when it gets to a point that you can't understand the lyrics that's where i, I sit there and i'm like oh, I, don't, I don't know about this but you'll never get to heaven does the perfect job at you hear the lyrics you hear the hooks you're really drawn in but they also have this really cool atmospheric feel that really sets them into that perfectly into that dream pop category i was really impressed zoe introduced me to this band and i uh some of my favorite songs on there are one of them's called white light and it's really great because it's got this gorgeous piano riff and it also has these really dramatic drums and that i thought was really cool because typically what i've noticed in a lot of shoegaze is that the synths kind of take the spotlight but I was kind of interested that white light had this really cool uh, deep drum sound that I just was super impressed with I hadn't heard another um, in other bands and in this genre like that so that was something I, I really loved and then images which is their first single is just really upbeat the bridge is fabulous super catchy I definitely saw why this was their first single off the album yeah absolutely I can't agree more about the percussion throughout this record it's it's so different than things that you would hear and not to say that this record isn't like music you would be familiar with you absolutely would recognize it from the likes of like beach house or blonde redhead blonde redhead i think is a the best analogy or the best comparison to make um especially with those vocals they're very very similar um but yeah no the percussion is very different from most dream pop records that i've heard and I wouldn't say that it leans, like the percussion leans more per, uh, shoegaze. The music itself does have a lot of shoegaze qualities. It's uh, a lot um, murkier. Uh, there's a lot more airiness in the vocals and airiness in the synths. 
but it all comes together so beautifully. Um, actually, so you mentioned Images, their debut song. I think that this band is so unique. They have such a unique personality. They actually released a statement about, not a statement necessarily, but they attached a quote to the premiere of their song, and I kind of wanted to read it. Um, so this was on The Fader. They premiered the song Images, and that's actually the title track of this new record. Uh, so they said about Images, Images came out of a fascination with 80s Japanese pop and minimalism, yet still remains indebted to the dreamy impressionism of Debussy, as with our past work. And they kind of go on like that. And this band, they're so precise and exact, and they know exactly what they're going for. Um, one of the, so this is a duo the duo comprised of Alice Hansen and Chuck Blachevic. Uh, they're from Toronto, although they were originally from on, uh, Ontario, London, Ontario, I believe. Um, oh, Toronto's in Ontario, I think. Am I screwing that up? You know, I was just trying to envision <laughs> oh, no. Canadian geography, no. and I can't, so you can just... Ooh. Yeah, re- well, first of all, we've really proven ourselves yep. as Americans right now. So it's solidified if you were, didn't realize already that we are Americans because we just don't know where anything is. I was really trying to slide through that. Like, I knew so much about Canada. I don't, though. They make maple syrup. But. <laughs> Excellent point. Thank you. <laughs> but they, they're currently based in Toronto. That's a city I know. I think Drake is from there, right? Yes, Drake is from Toronto. So is The Weeknd. Look, we know oh. we know our musicians from Canada. I didn't know The Weeknd was from there. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. that's fair. <laughs> I would ask where Justin Bieber's from, but I don't want to answer to that. I don't actually know where he's from. I think he was from some sort of smaller town. Edmonton? Just kidding. <laughs> um, so he's naming now all the towns that she knows. She's like, I'm familiar with that city. Um... So anyway, You'll Never Get to Heaven, duo based in Toronto. Uh, They're actually going on a U.S. tour this August. If you have any information about where they can play, please email them at you'llnevergettoheaven at gmail.com. They are looking for people to help them set up their tour. Um, I'm not sure how many times they've toured the U.S. given that they're, you know, crowdsourcing these. But I do love, that's also becoming a thing. Oh my God, speaking of clap your hands, say yeah, they did that last year. They like crowdsourced a living room tour. It was pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. I was actually just thinking, I wonder if they could set up their stuff on my patio. Oh my God. It could be a Kylie patio party. Think about it. You'll never get to heaven could go play on my patio. It would be really fun. The Valley would love that. Yes. Oh, I'm sure my neighbors would be thrilled. Thrilled, thrilled. Maybe we could do it during the day, though. Think about that. I like, mean, I don't see why your neighbors would hate this type of music, though. You're right. Like it's not night. like emo. It's not grumpy. No, no one. It's not too loud. Like it's no one. None of the lyrics are talking about getting in a fight. You know, <laughs> or, or getting anyone pregnant. Correct. No, we're so you know. I, I really yeah. I kind of check. Do that. All right. We might email yeah. you if you're listening. You'll never get to heaven. We may email you. Yes. Uh, you can come play on my patio and I have the cutest cat oh so God, you can also you get to pet her which is really let me tell you it's a perk that's it's a perk. bad mm-hmm. perk yeah you should honestly include that in your writer for every other tour you set up make sure there's a cat I can pet and make sure that cat is Kylie's cat Edna because this cat is adorable she's really sweet she's staring at us right now as we as we uh, do this podcast she, she knows we're talking about her mm-hmm she loves it anywho um so yeah so they're i keep repeating this they're from toronto uh the uh chuck blachevic which i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right uh i could not be uh forgive me but he also has an ambient side project which i think is largely where a lot of these influences come in especially so kylie you and i were talking about this earlier before we started recording uh there are several instrumental tracks that kind of take you through the record and they seem like very highly influenced from his ambient project uh the the sounds are just very i mean as they said with the statement about their single images there's these minimalist pop but clearly like there's a lot of japanese influences here I would definitely say that, and definitely it's talking about how Debussy influenced a lot of it, and I think that with those interludes, you definitely feel the classical music, because you don't have the vocals, and you just have this really interesting um, bridge to other things. It's funny, because Zoe and I were actually discussing before this about 
uh, interludes. And it's funny because as a pop listener, I'm not, I don't usually hear a lot of interludes. Um, I think like Drake occasionally does them, but another, another fellow Canadian, but, um, you know, a lot of pop music, they're trying to make these really concise albums. They don't have a lot of interludes. Whereas I know Zoe was mentioning that a lot of the things that she listens to have a lot of interludes. So I thought that was, I noticed that and I said, oh, this is kind of interesting. This isn't what I am used to hearing, but I know, um, Zoe has a lot more experience kind of listening to them. And it is kind of interesting, the back and forth between the vocals and then, um, and then the interludes. Yeah, absolutely. On this record, especially. So the interludes are the track still, which is a third track. And then the track shadow garden, uh, I believe, which is track six, if I'm correct. Um, they actually sound like they are a continuation of one another and not just a continuation of the album, which is, oh, beyond brilliant. Like, I love that. It's so gorgeous. The thing is with shadow garden, I love that song so much because at the end of it it's kind of like like i said like a continuation of still but then at the end of it you kind of get this twist of like more synths and more sounds and it's just it kind of really does take it into the next song which is my favorite song on the record beyond the clouds that song is a jam man (laughs) i love that song the hooks on it are so catchy I love it. <laughs> That's one of the things overall that I like about this album is it's really, really catchy. And that's another thing where a lot of times shoegaze is so focused on the atmosphere that they don't, it's not as hooky. And I'm someone, I'm a huge pop music fan. So hooks, hooks are everything to me. So I'm really impressed by how they're able to merge this atmospheric sound with really hooky things. Like um, my personal favorite on the album was To Be Fair, because uh, there's a, uh, t- part of it they're singing it's okay and the hook is so catchy that I just I was just like it is okay it is okay isn't it everything is okay like honestly I think that that's gonna be my song whenever I'm sitting here like I'm really stressed and it's like but no you'll never get to heaven is telling me it's okay which is ironic yeah right (laughs) but so okay given all this all their like various sounds and how they've kind of put it all together I would be fascinated to see them live like I was I tried looking up any reviews i could only find one and it's interesting it was uh of them playing at a festival which already is kind of shaky ground a festival show is very different from a headlining show um but uh they the author described them as clubby post-punk and this was from the brooklyn brooklyn rail and listening to their music like listening to this album i'm like what (laughs) what are you talking about but I will say I did go back and so this was written several years ago and when I went to listen to like their older stuff like their first album self-titled came out in 2012 uh, it is a little heavier there's a lot more of that kind of industrial ambient stuff going on which it's not a whole lot different in production wise or like the way that the album flows but it does sound a lot different and I can definitely see how that would influence their live show gotcha I was just gonna laugh because I'm like what right that's what I said I was very confused confused. and the thing is though I will say that there's so many of like the music terms and things like that I was actually asking Zoe I said Zoe this is considered shoegaze right I don't want to come on here and and call it something totally different so there are people use so many words to describe different music but I would definitely that's kind of an interesting thing but I would be interested to see them live because I want to see for lack of a better like phrasing this more eloquently what instruments do each of them play? I'm wondering if we just have vocals and then synth with drums, or maybe he's doing drums, maybe she's doing synth. I kind of want to know what the makeup, the instrumental makeup is. I'm wondering if there's going to be a lot of backing track Mm -hmm. or if there's going to be a lot of sparseness to it because there's no backing track. Because obviously, like, there is only two people. Maybe, though, their live show would be more than two people. Like, I'm I'm endlessly fascinated. I really hope they hit LA. Yeah, they could be in my backyard. Okay, you're absolutely right. I they can't could, believe I've already forgotten. They that. could be in my backyard, you know, petting Edna and doing a show. So uh, I mean, yeah, looking forward to that. Hopefully they do right over here. Hopefully they'll make it to your city too. Uh, this album called Images by You'll Never Get to Heaven. It comes out this Friday, March 24th. So keep your eye out for that. And I'll have a link to buy it in the description. Uh, from here, we're going to transition right into our mix. We're actually going to play a song off of this Images record, and then we're going to flow into a couple other tracks, and then we'll recap them at the end. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This has been Sawdust and Gin. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kylie. Thank you guys so much.
jelly And a link so close though I stood up perfectly Straight here With the wave not to wave you down Come straight here Not to wave you around From here up will grow Straight here If I ever wasn't yours Come straight here And I lead so close Here do this Here do this Straight here Come straight here Come here Cut to there You cut me regally You cut me regally
guys so much for listening to sawdust and gin this was episode 25 we were joined by kylie i want to thank her she's gonna be back she's a lot of fun um, but i'm here to recap the songs that we are listening to this right now is colliding canyons with the track called saxis t-s-a-x-i-s before this we heard full of nothing by panama the french producer not the other band before that we heard Pairs with a track called Open Day. Prior to that, Fortunes with a track called In My Hair. And then starting the set, we heard, of course, You'll Never Get to Heaven with Beyond the Clouds, my favorite from their newest record, Images. Again, that record comes out this Friday. You guys should pick it up. It's really amazing stuff. Um, I want to thank Kylie just once again. And thank you guys once again for tuning in if you guys want to show us some support please like us on facebook follow us on twitter we've also got a symbol so follow us on symbol too all sawdust and gin uh the handle for everything uh you can also email me sawdust and gin at gmail.com thanks so much for listening guys keep rocking and never stop resisting <laughs> <laughs>